The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's sermon scripture is Psalm 26. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 26. Vindicate me, Lord, because I have lived with integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind. For your faithful love guides me, and I live by your truth. I do not sit with the worthless or associate with hypocrites. I hate a crowd of evildoers, and I do not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and I go around your altar, Lord, raising my voice in thanksgiving and telling about your wondrous works. Lord, I love the house where you dwell, the place where your glory resides. Do not destroy me along with sinners or my life along with men of bloodshed, in whose hands are evil schemes and whose right hands are filled with bribes. But I live with integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. I will bless the Lord in the assemblies. You may be seated. Thank you, Alicia. Glad you guys are here today. In sixth grade, Charlie and I were sent to the principal's office uh, for a reason I did not know until I got there. I was terrified of the principal. He was not really a nice person. We stood in front of him, and we had to empty our pockets and take off our shoes because somebody had stolen the lunch money uh, from my homeroom. And back then, I know this might sound crazy, but the homeroom teacher would collect the lunch money and set it outside of the homeroom door, and then somebody would come around and get it. For reasons I cannot remember, Charlie and I, for different reasons at different times, asked to go to leave the classroom, maybe go to the bathroom or something like that. Anyway, the lunch money was gone. And uh, if you saw Charlie, if you knew Charlie, if you saw him, you would know he was definitely the one that took the money. He just was one of those kids that you look at and say, this guy's eventually going to be in the federal penitentiary. Well, I think that um, I, I, I tried to show that I didn't have any money, and I, I absolutely did not steal it. I think my angelic face and freckles and stuff like that vindicated my integrity, and so I was dismissed, and I never really even know what happened to Charlie. But even though I didn't see Charlie steal the money, I'm pretty sure he did. It, it is a good thing to be able to be vindicated um, if your integrity is online. I mean, somebody's looking at it and wondering, and then it's a, it's, it's a good thing if somebody would say, like, no, no, that person's innocent. They would never do that. That person's honest. Now, Psalm 26, if you've read that before and you just heard it, is a prayer of confidence. It's a call to God to vindicate David and his confidence that God will do that. I've always struggled with these Psalms. I think you have too. That's why when I talk to people, they struggle with some of the Psalms. There are several types of psalms that seem very difficult to sing or pray or repeat. We can think about the so-called imprecatory psalms, where the psalmist calls God to destroy his enemies. Do I get to pray that? Here's an example of a psalm where the psalmist approaches God, speaking of his personal righteousness or goodness. Lord, vindicate me and destroy my enemies because I have been good or faithful. Do I get to say that? Just in case you think David was delusional or overconfident, this is what God said to David's son, King Solomon, 1 Kings 9.4. As for you, if you will walk before me as your David, your father, walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you, 
and keeping my statutes and rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. So apparently even God agreed with David about his integrity. Verse 1 says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted the Lord without wavering. Can you say that, you guys? Walking in integrity, trusting God without wavering. Can you have this kind of confidence in approaching God? And how? Notice this as you read this psalm. The psalmist's integrity is defended by presenting his location. He's not located with evil people, but he is located where God is. He says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. He says that he has not been located with God's enemies. When he says he does not sit with them, he's not primarily referring to his body posture. To sit with the wicked is to agree with the wicked, to adopt the worldview opposed to God. To sit with liars and hypocrites and evildoers and the wicked is to listen to and absorb the values of the world. It is when we continually place ourselves in the realm of the priorities and values of the world. That's sitting with them. It's about what we listen to, you guys. Read about. Look upon and absorb that could be shown in the Bible to be in opposition to the priorities and values of God. Personally, I believe that most Christians are insufficient. This is my own experience. I can't find this in the Bible. It's just my own experience is that we're insufficient in discernment. In other words, we're not really that careful about who we're sitting with. If people are reading, Christians are reading their Bibles, they don't know how to do that well. They see what they shouldn't see. They don't see what they should see. They don't know how to evaluate other preachers and Christian leaders very well. They don't know how to read books carefully. They don't know how to evaluate websites and blogs and posts and the news. They don't know how to distinguish opinion from fact. And I think too many Christians cannot see how advertising has affected them. How can you and I walk in integrity if we don't really know the priorities and values of God? I mean, if we don't know how to distinguish the difference between treasures in heaven and treasures on earth, can we really be a, a discerning person if we cannot distinguish the trivial from the truly important? So I, I'm, I'm asking you to consider about who you, so to speak, sit with in your time. So here's a careful warning then, a warning to be careful, I should say, about who are mentally sitting with. The psalmist defends his integrity by showing where he's not located. But the psalmist also defends his integrity by showing where he is located. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord. Proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. In verse 12, my foot stands on level ground in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. So here's where I can, can be found. I'm around the altar of the tabernacle. I stay near where my sins are forgiven. A New Testament psalmist might say, I stay near the cross. A Redeemer member may say, I stay close to the gospel. I love being in your tabernacle because I love anything where the glory of God is evident. 
My values and priorities are the glory of God. Whatever shows that God is the only one of true worth and commitment. The psalmist also says, if you find me, you won't find me alone either. I love being with the whole assembly of people who value God's glory above all else. I love being with the the priests, the spiritual leaders of Israel. I love being together with other saints as much as I can. I love being with men and women and children and aliens and outcasts who can come together as one because of the innocent blood on that altar. Together we bless the Lord who has forgiven us. The psalmist said, I hate the assembly of evildoers. I love the habitation of your house. In the Bible, you guys, love and hate are presented as choices that we make rather than feelings that we have. The prophet, for instance, Malachi said that God said, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. That's not about God's feelings. Apostle John said that that God so loves the world, but he also said we're not to love the world. Jesus says that if we do not hate our father and mother and so on, even our own life, we cannot be his disciples. And yet it says we must love our enemies. These contrasts are not feelings and they're not exaggerations either. God is reminding us that we must make decisive choices And these choices will result in lifestyle changes. I am a person of integrity because these three things match up. My mouth says this, which comes from my heart, but it's shown in my lifestyle or the way I live. When those three match up, that's a person of integrity. I may say God owns my money, but my purchases and lifestyle might show something completely different. I say I love the word of God, but my lifestyle shows I listen to a lot of social media people. I say I want the lost to be saved, but I never share the good news with anyone. I say I want to be holy, but my decisions are often based on whether or not I can get away with something. The psalmist is so confident in his integrity and faith that he invites God to examine his heart. Now, when I was dating Kay, there was no such thing as the internet and there was no such thing as dating apps, but that's a common thing now. So my, I, I've never done this before, but I think it works this way. You, uh, you put on the website or the app a picture of yourself, and I'm just guessing, just guessing that it's not a picture of yourself when you woke up in the morning or something like that, but it's one of your best pictures, your best profile. And then you say all these things about yourself. I love horses, and I love skiing, and I love books, and I love walks on the beach, and I, and I love being honest, and I love an honest person. But, but what if there was a, a dating website that was actually formed by the FBI and by private investigators? Actually, you would be really interested in that because you'd have a pictures of, of people that just got out of bed and you would have, you'd have records of all the things they've said behind people's backs and records of their bank records and how they spend money. And, and that's the, that would be the honest truth. <clears throat> Inviting God to see who, examine your heart, see who you really are. Two implications emerge immediately. For one, the psalmist implies 
that it is one thing to make the claim he has integrity and that he trusts the Lord without wavering. It's another thing to ask God to check what he thinks if any of this is true. I mean, what about you? Do you make the claim that you are a person of integrity? Do you make the claim that you trust the Lord without wavering? So here's the implication that we may portray ourselves one way on the outside, but God's examination may show something different. The other implication is that no one else is even capable of really finding out the truth of your character and faith, but God anyway. God is invited to do this testing, the examination, because he recognizes, the psalmist recognizes that he's the only one that could do this anyway. The psalmist need not care for testing to be done by the world. Why would you try to get approved by the world? Look at their value system. He doesn't, certainly doesn't ask to be tested by Satan. All he does is just make accusations. And he doesn't even ask or expect himself really to examine his own self because the heart is too self-deceiving. So the psalmist boldly opens himself up to God's examination. Verse two said, prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. You probably know another version of this in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The conclusion of Psalm 26 is that God should vindicate the psalmist because he has integrity. Now listen, vindication. To whom would we even need to be vindicated? Who might accuse you? Or at least who might question your integrity? Think about it. It could be angels. If you think about it, here's what Peter said, that angels long to look into our salvation. 1 Peter 1.12. What makes our salvation so curious to angels? I don't know, but this is my best guess. The Bible says that we are made a little bit lower than the angels. To be in the presence of God and then to watch the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, take on gross human flesh and come down and be like us and die on the cross for our sins, us messy people, I would be curious about that too. Why, God, would you leave your throne and come down here and be like one of them? And the angels might say, by the way, I've been watching these folk. I've even been watching the folk at Redeemer Community Church, and some of them kind of live two different lives. So the angels might be curious. We know Satan might be curious. If Satan had any doubts about the integrity of Jesus, you can bet he will have doubts about you. I mean, his very name means accuser. This is what he does. So Satan can doubt your integrity. He can wonder about the reality of your faith. You say this and then you do that. Of course, the world is watching. They're watching us. Are Christians really true and right? Do they live out what they say? If God is everything and eternity is real, the world is watching how we use our wealth and watching what makes us give up, what we're saying behind people's backs, what we're doing behind closed doors. Something else, it's us. The church is also sort of watching. 
I hope not in a judgmental way. One of our greatest displays of integrity is right in front of our own spiritual family. We're all watching each other's watching each other's integrity and faith. Mainly we're encouraged and inspired by each other's endurance and joy and suffering. Display your prayer requests with a little bit of wisdom. Every single year, probably every single month, you hear some bad news and you request prayer, keep on doing that. But listen, we're just watching now. You just heard that news? I'm watching to see if your faith will remain, if you will endure. And it's inspiring and encouraging. And that's why when we tell each other our stories, they're so encouraging. But the fact of the matter is we're watching each other's faith, its genuineness and things like that. And we get strength from that. Remarkably, and if you'll admit this, we ourselves are also watching ourselves and secretly wondering if our own faith is real. Sensitive, self-aware, mature Christians ask themselves whether their own faith is genuine. We wonder at times whether or not we have just been brainwashed or delusional or naive or even, this is the one that gets me most of all, am I overly protected by God? Is that why I'm such a good guy? Because God doesn't ever let me experience some of the things that you guys have experienced. And I wonder... If I had to experience that trial, what would happen to my faith? I feel like I don't exactly know. Again, Peter said the trials test the genuineness of your faith, and that results in praise and glory and honor when Christ returns. So there's a lot of people that may be looking at us in which we need vindication, including my own heart. But of course, then there's God, obviously, takes a special boldness and confidence to invite God to examine ourselves. Of course, he knows everything perfectly. It's not like he's discovering new information. But the mature believer can ask God to increase holiness by revealing the dark parts of our heart and still need confession and repentance. So what about you? How do you measure up to this psalm? Do you feel confident that God will vindicate your integrity? when a whole host of beings is looking for lapses in integrity and faith. Let me conclude with things, three things I think you ought to have confidence in. <clears throat> Number one, confidence in your integrity. You ought to have confidence in your integrity. So be honest, be true. Don't live a double life. Will your spouse and children vindicate you as someone who is identical at home as they are at church fellowships? Not to be too humorous about it, but just just like a, a, a secretly hidden recording device in your car so we can hear what goes on before you come to church and what goes on after church. Does it match up? If you can get away with deceiving anyone at home, will you try it? What about work? Do you scheme to get ahead? Do you manipulate numbers to please others, to please the boss or the company? Do you deceive customers? 
The thing about personal integrity, it affects your approach in prayer. It just does. The psalmist later says, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. This also affects your approach to the Lord's Supper, which we're just about to take. Paul told Corinthians or Christians in Corinth to examine themselves and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So when you strive for integrity and in everything, you stand on level ground. As verse 12 says, people can see your laptop, your phone, your bank records. So then you approach prayer and the Lord's Supper with confidence. Now, don't you want that? Or you may be a little bit tired of kind of not having the integrity that you know you ought to have. Here's the second thing you... We can and should and must have confidence in God's steadfast love, his grace. In the previous Psalm 25, the writer mentions his sins and transgressions and guilt. He's honest about this, but he also called out for God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness. In Psalm 26, despite the confidence that David has that what he is blamed for, he is innocent of, He still depends on God's steadfast love, verse 3, and God's redemption and grace, verse 11. Ultimately, the vindication that God's people receive is not because of sinlessness, much less perfection. Everyone has sinned. Ultimately, God does not vindicate you because you have mastered integrity. God vindicates He pardons, he defends because of his character. He is a God of love and grace. He gives what we don't deserve. And so for all our failures, God remains the same. So you remember that this week. And thirdly, lastly, we should have confidence in in our position with Christ or with God, excuse me, in Christ. This is your ultimate confidence. Now, wait a minute. Stop for a moment. To bring up the subject of vindication is to bring up the subject of judgment. It's to admit that God is the judge of the universe. He's the one who declares someone righteous or vindicated or not. Romans 2.16 says that on the final day of history, when Christ returns, God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. It's none other than Jesus who's the final judge. And that means the standard of integrity is none other than Jesus. How do you feel now? Do you guys remember exactly when Peter wept bitterly after denying Jesus three times? Luke tells us that after the third denial, Jesus turned and looked at him. The rooster crowed, and he went out and wept bitterly. The eye, the gaze of the Lord Jesus Christ, perfection, perfect integrity. At the end of a time, no one will successfully bring up their integrity. If any of you are starting to think that way, listen carefully. You cannot bring up your integrity to God at the end of time. Examine yourself right now before God examines you. Are you viewing yourself as as imperfect but pretty good, 
pretty decent. I'm a pretty decent fellow. I can think of any number of people that are a lot worse than me. No, I'm not perfect, but I'm good. Are you thinking that? Are you just simply acknowledging that Jesus is the greatest person that's ever lived? And he's just such a great role model. Would you ever make the claim that, well, all my family is Christian? This is not what the integrity that we're talking about. This is not the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you guys. This is not enough. None of that puts you in the right position with God. You should have no confidence in being vindicated, pardoned, defended by God when you die or when Jesus returns. So I'm calling out to some of you to today be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Admit that whatever integrity you think you have counts for nothing before a holy God. God sent his one and only son to save people who are sinners, to save people who don't have integrity by faith. I'm asking you by faith to come to God through the sacrifice of Jesus made on the cross to secure your forgiveness your vindication. To be able to say like the psalmist, I have walked in my integrity, I have trusted the Lord without wavering is to have someone else's integrity, someone else's perfection applied to you, the perfection or righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am not a man of integrity, Although I did not steal the lunch money, two years before that, I was running through the living room and broke my mom's glass bowl like an idiot. I tried to put it back in its place with all the broken pieces, hoping my mom wouldn't see that. My mom saw it. She asked me if I broke it. I said no. I lied. She's too smart. She spanked me. So I don't steal money, but I'm a liar. That's a fact. But if the perfection of Jesus is applied to me, then I, of all people in the world, should be able to approach him with confidence, every day with confidence. A free gift of grace has been offered to me, it's been offered to us, and I have taken it. And I think most of you have too, but not all of you. Whatever could accuse you, this world, Satan, even your own conscience, is silenced by the judge of the universe who says, this one is mine in my son, Jesus Christ. He's mine, she's mine in my son, Jesus Christ. This one is righteous through my son. I hold my child as faultless, guiltless, fully accepted. I'm talking about confidence here this morning. And what if one more... <clears throat> person raises his ugly head and says, wait a minute, I still get the last word. And it's death. Death says, but I have the final word. No, it does not. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Thus, like Christ, you will be vindicated with resurrection life but your vindication comes through the sacrifice of Jesus. And just as Jesus' death was vindicated by God through resurrection, so you will be vindicated through resurrection too. So it turns out 
You can approach God in confidence. Your vindication and mine is through the perfect integrity and unwavering faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father, we've heard the psalm. We've understood something about integrity. It has, in one way, decreased our confidence, but then we recollect that in Jesus we have perfect integrity. The great gift of his righteousness applied to us and our lack of integrity applied to him. We are recognizing that this morning. To the extent that that there are some listeners here this morning who don't quite understand that, I pray, Father, that you would help them to understand what is offered in Jesus. For the believer then, I pray that we would be confident this week because of what we have. And yet at the same time, we are battling living lives of integrity. It's so hard, Lord, in this world. We're listening to things we ought not to. We're sitting with people and ideas we ought not to. Help us with that. But I do pray for the lost who need to come to you today. Some of them are just still, Lord, sitting there thinking that they're okay when they're not. Move in their heart. We pray. Your blessings on this sermon, on this service. And pray in the name of Jesus who died for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.